in the Gospels twice. Uh, there was a version of it in Matthew and a version in Luke. And uh, these were at different events. Matthew, In Matthew, it's part of the Sermon on the Mount. And in Luke, it is a response from the uh, disciples asking Christ to teach them to pray. Um, so it's not, it's an interesting question because it wasn't teach us how to pray. It was teach us to pray. And, and so he gives them, in Luke, it's a very short and sweet little prayer uh, for them to follow. Uh, and we can use it as a model, as a prayer, which we do every, every week in the liturgy, but also as a model. Uh, Luke is, uh, the, the, the prayer in Luke is really interesting as far as translations go, because some translations... Uh, take it, take the text out of Matthew and stick it in Luke. Others have a shorter version in Luke, and so, some have a severely shorter <laughs> version in Luke. Uh, and there's there's uh, a thing going on here with with uh, manuscripts, um, and we'll get uh, more into this toward the end of the end of the uh, um, lesson, but. Uh, some of the older manuscripts just don't have the prayer, the whole prayer as we know it. Uh, so, so more modern translations kind of, you know, they make their own decisions about which which manuscript they're going to use. And the ESV, I believe, which Walt has, uh, is particularly, they are particularly short <laughs> in the ESV. Um, so anyway, but we'll get we'll get more into that uh, at the end. Uh, so, but because of that, I'm going to be you know focusing on the one in Matthew, and which is in chapter six. Um, and uh, just to open up, the fathers identify seven petitions in this prayer. Uh, so there's that number again, uh, seven. And uh, but I'm going to be breaking them down into the phrases, so I uh, won't be focusing that much on on the breakdown of the petitions. So, opening phrase: Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So the prayer begins with worship and adoration, uh, and with the uh, by addressing God as Father. And uh, there's not very much precedent in the Old Testament for calling God Father. Uh, it appears in uh, Isaiah 63 and 64. But other than that, there's only just kind of hints uh, or comparisons to God as a father to his children. Um, but Jesus just flats out, flat out begins it with this word Father, our Father. Uh, now, for a Jewish audience, that would be um, somewhat revelatory. Uh, their spiritual father was Abraham. And if you ask them, who is your father, as Christ did, 
They would say, our father is Abraham. And that's where their righteousness came from, you know, from Abraham. Uh, our righteousness comes from God the Father. Uh, so, you know, this is, this is uh, a serious, serious point being made in this prayer. Uh, now, God is not our Father uh, because he created us, because he created everything. He's our Father because he recreated us in the new birth, the new creation. And uh, here I'm going to invoke John uh, 14.6. Jesus said to them, I am the true way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So this is what makes, makes him our Father. It's our relationship with Christ. Christ is our intermediary between us and the Father. Uh, it is a place of privilege to, uh, to call him Father uh, as... Uh, adopted sons. Uh, uh, I'm going to read you a little bit of Tertullian here, uh, if I could find it. Uh, Tertullian, prayer begins with a demonstration of our belief in God in a blessed act of faith at the moment when we say, Father who art in heaven. For we are thereby both adoring God and demonstrating our faith. And this form of address is the result. It is written to those who believe in God, he gave the power to be called the children of God. Now, uh, a lot of uh, translations, the ones I'm most familiar with, actually say the right to be called the children of God. So we're, we're Americans. You know, we're all about our rights. We have one right according to scripture one one right and that is to be called children of god and this is a this is a position of privilege and so we can come to god in prayer calling upon him as father okay it goes on hallowed be thy name uh, hallowed means to be to make holy or to consecrate or to separate uh, and, and so we can come to Karl Barth's, I think it was Barth's phrase, the, the holy other um, that God is. Uh, he is um, uh, worthy of a fearful and uh, extreme reverence or esteem or veneration. So we come to him uh, boldly as children but also in great humility, understanding his holiness and his separateness. Uh, and then uh, the, final, uh, the final statement in this phrase is, Hallowed be, be thy name. It is his name that uh, we hold in this high regard. And uh, I tried to count the number of times my name comes up in the Old Testament, and I couldn't do it. <laughs> I gave up. I didn't even get out of Genesis before I gave up. Um, his name is just in, in incredibly important to him. Not your name, Craig, but 
No, no. The, fr- the phrase, my name. My name does not appear in the Bible. There's nowhere in the scripture. At least not as much as David. Uh, but, uh, but the last time it appears, the phrase, my name, in the Old Testament is in Malachi. And it's in Malachi 4, the last chapter of the Old Testament. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. So this is, uh, this is obviously a son, is S-U-N there, but uh, this is obviously a Christological uh, statement uh, connected to God's name. So that is the first phrase. So, anybody have any any thoughts about any of that? Names are very very important. Mm-hmm. You know, what you name your child? You know, I, I knew yeah. if he had two, he had a son and a daughter. Named one of them named Boy Rebel and the girl Dixie. Yeah. And what, what do you think Rebel became before he was out of high school? I wonder. So, I wonder. Became a rebel. <laughs> so, so, I mean, so so, you, so it's it's just that. I mean, it's very good because I who who doesn't at some point in time try to find out what their name means, look up their name, mm-hmm. you know, somebody, you know, yeah. and find find out where it's, what what's the origin of the name. And, you know, so, I mean, you know, I yeah, there was a there was a <laughs> TV show that I happened to see, and this was probably twenty years ago. I don't have any clue what it was, but one, there was a character with this long Hawaiian name, you know, and you know what they sound like, and yeah. and this white character says, "Oh, well, what does that mean?" Um, and the the Hawaiian girl was very flippant. She said, "I don't know. What does your name mean?" And she said, "I don't know that it means anything, <laughs> but it does." Yeah. Um, but you have to, you know, have to be interested enough to try track it down. Yeah. In Genesis, uh, after Seth's son was born, it says, Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And that's repeated through the Bible yeah, multiple yeah. times, even in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. All of us who call upon the name of the Lord. Yeah. Connor, did you have something? Yeah, I've got a question. Um, even though in the Old Testament there's not a whole lot of uh, God, God being. Father, you said it's kind of hinted at, right? But it doesn't really. It's used as a comparison mostly. You do see it though in the Old Testament uh, regarding heavenly beings, the sons of God. Yeah. So what's the what's the significance of that? I mean, that I don't know. I mean, see now you're talking about angels again. Well, son of God is. I mean, son of God is a special. It is a special relationship that we have. Right. Seems to be exclusive. That you know, nothing else in all of creation has what we have in God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know all the ramifications of that word "son." Yeah. In Hebrew. Uh, And I, I, I'm very hesitant to say anything about angels. I mean, it's just such a mystery. Now, but he's talking about obedient angels there, uh, you know, not fallen angels. So, uh, you know, the heavenly host. So that's probably got something to do with it, you know, angels who have, who have not rebelled against the Most High. 
there are some hints in the Old Testament uh, in types, you might say, uh, around the word love in the Old Testament in Genesis. Mm-hmm. The first use of the word love in Genesis shows the love of the Father for the Son. Yeah. And the second mention of love shows the love of the Son for the Bride. So, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But, I think about it, I mean, if, if you are a son of Abraham, really, at the least, you're a grandson of God. <laughs> so, because so, he, he was, he was the son. Of, you know, yeah, yeah, but, but you know, God can run, can raise sons to Abraham out of these rocks. So it was, it was not a legitimate claim. No, no, I, yeah, I agree. But at the same time, it's like if you were a true son of Abraham, you would probably. Know well, God. yeah, if you, if, if I mean, like Jesus calls Nathaniel a true son of Israel. Uh, or a true Israelite. Without any God. So, yeah, I mean, there's that. But that's, that's we're talking about the spiritual level, which, you know, which is the same as calling, it's the same level as us calling God Father. A lot of people claim to be in the kingdom. All right, well, let's, let's move on. Um, the, second, the second phrase is, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, uh, the first, the fathers consider hallowed be thy name to be a petition. But the, the thing that we're actually, like, asking for here, the very first thing, is for Christ's return. That, uh, that God's kingdom would come upon earth. Um, now, one, one uh, commentator points out that the word, uh, the Greek word is bas- basileia. Is that even close to right? Um, it means it means both kingdom and kingship. Uh, so uh, we we're talking about Christ's kingship at, at uh, uh, or the or the, the kingship of the Godhead uh, at the same time as as the kingdom. Now we we tend to uh, when we're reciting this we tend to treat the first part as a cu- a couplet like a little bit of poetry because it's the same meter and it rhymes. Thy thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as is is in heaven. But I think it really should be taken as 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 a full statement here as a singular statement. Uh, he has a will for his kingdom to come upon earth just as it is perfectly in place in heaven. So we're talking about the same thing, only, only just different places. Um, he has a will for heaven, which is completely fulfilled right now. And even though the earth falls far short of his will, he still has a will for it. And those, those wills come together, or will come together at some point. So uh, it's not a Pollyannish uh, prayer that that all of a sudden everything would go according to God's will on earth because we know that's not the purpose here uh, uh, so the promise is that all this will happen the promise is that he is going to come back and he is going to set his kingdom upon earth but still we are supposed to pray for it so we show some faith in it that it's going to happen uh, uh, you know, if, when we say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Um, 
Now, uh, so, any thoughts about that? I just don't mind because his kingdom is where he rules. So where is our, our responsibility as believers is to get people to fall under the rule of Christ, just to surrender themselves to his rule. It's, you know, it's a battle against the devil. The devil wants to rule mm-hmm. in your life, in my life, and so forth. So it's a continued struggle to just make sure that Christ is our king. Right. You know, so, and then we're submissive to his rule. And, uh, and so that's, that's part of evangelism, really. Evangelism. Evangelism for I thought he said magic. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, but you know, I mean, to be able to share that with people, say, look, you know, I mean, who is your ruler? And which kingdom are you serving right now? You, know, you got a choice. You got to make it. You got to decide which one. It's much. I've discovered it's much better to fall under the kingdom of Christ and serve Him as it was to serve the devil. Yeah. Well, Christ is the King. But Satan is the prince of the world, so he's like this prince who can't wait to for his father to die, <laughs> type of thing. Mm-hmm. See not, not, not a direct analogy, but you know, in, in, it's this political thing about the the prince who just causes trouble, hoping to upset the throne. Right. It's in literature all over the, all yeah. over the place. You know, I think there's some kind of symbolism. To that. Classic. Well, it's in Israel's history too. There were a few kings. Killed by their sons. That's why a lot of times rulers would kill all their offspring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, or or you, they would kill their siblings. Yeah. Uh, newly yeah. elevated kings. Well, you see, a lot of it, especially if you study the medieval era, I mean, if you were the son of a, a ruler. You were pretty much, you could go and do stuff in his name as well, but also you were expected to honor that name, kind of like what God says, we're sons and daughters of God, act like it, you know, bring honor to the name that you come from. Mm-hmm. And um, they'd also have like, you know, a various kuchamas, like a signet ring or whatnot, it says, because we are the sons of God and daughters of God, we need to... Respect it because you know you, uh, especially in the medieval era, they'd have a difference between father and lord. Like a lord was more authoritative, and father was more familial. But in the Christian realm, they're mixed. We have to give his lordship the respect he requires, but he still wants a familial relationship with us. Mm-hmm. So it kind of mixes a little bit with that. No, yeah. I think this couplet also uh, speaks to the spiritual warfare going on. We were talking about it, I was thinking about honestly, I don't know why, but my brain's been very World War One focused. <laughs> so, you know, I'm thinking about the idea of you have a king that uh, is just an island of Denmark, right? But you have the two trenches, right? In no man's land, and right? The war is happening in no man's land, but there's a king over it, but the French trying to rule it, mm. you know, mm-hmm. and we're kind of stuck in one of the trenches, just trying to move. Yeah, right. So, who's on the throne? Right. Well, and it can be, you know, you can extend this to the even now but not yet paradigm, or kingdom. I would say kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God paradigm. That there, the king exists right now, and we are supposed to be representing it, involving it, and living within it. 
you know, even even in the here and now. Well, we're it, intermingling. You go, I'm, I'm, I'm in the kingdom of God, but I'm intermingling constantly with the other kingdom. <laughs> so, and how do I show myself in that kingdom? Mm-hmm. Well, history talks about if we want to have true, even if you watch the movie Schindler's List, it says true power is to show grace and compassion. Kind of like the, I'm not sure what the date is, uh, but when they had the uh, Christmas Day or Eve where the Germans and the, uh, yeah, the Allies Christmas put truth. everything aside and realized that compassion and love was greater than the Christmas spirit and all that. And then they were right back to fighting, but it shows that, yeah. yeah. I know I've heard a song about that. <laughs> yeah, sure yeah, yeah, we can all gather around and sing it together. <laughs> Do you have? Just to the point, which I agree with what you're saying to me, it seems to me maybe some of this could It's a very, uh, against our nature, we're rebels, of course. Uh, our will is totally rebellious to God, He breaks it. Seems to me that uh, will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Is the humility that he wants us to be under the authority mm-hmm. of, a, of the cross of Christ as things are in heaven. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then authorities, ranks, if you will, some position. And our position, actually, here is walking in humility and carrying our cross. Right. In this earth, which is wars and rumors of wars and all kinds of things and stuff. Just yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But I mean, both of these petitions express a desire to be under his authority. Well, uh, let's move on because this is where it gets really interesting. <laughs> uh, the next phrase is give us this day our daily bread. Well, the word daily in Greek here is epiousios, and it was, it was treated as meaning daily uh, because it was assumed to be related to epiousei, uh, which means for the next, you know, by extension, for the next day. Um, but it more likely means above the essence or beyond substance. Um, in translating the Vulgate, uh, you know, Jerome got, got uh, his marching orders to make a good Latin translation. So he went back to the Greek, and in, uh, in translating the Vulgate, Jerome coined the word supersubstantial for Matthew 6, Super substantium, you know, whatever it is in Latin, never seen before. Uh, but he used daily in Luke 11. So this is, he's, he's like he's splitting, you know, to make everyone happy, <laughs> he splits it down the middle. So what does his Latin word mean exactly? Well, uh, it means it cannot be broken down to its substance, which would be bread. Okay. Uh, to, to clarify here, this Greek word only shows up in the Lord's Prayer. Oh, so people are trying yeah. to figure out what this word means, but they have nothing to go off of yeah. other than the fact that it is related somehow to daily or for the next day. But it's a unique word. It's like Jesus coined it specifically for the Lord's Prayer. 
So people are trying to figure oh. out how to transfer this. <laughs> That's my lesson. It means you cannot break it down from its essence. It's a mystical word. It's a mystical word. What's the word again? Epiosios. And as Connor is saying, it, it doesn't show up anywhere in ancient Greek. I mean, consider what they have. They've got Homer. They've got Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, uh, Euclid, you know, all the mathematicians, all the philosophers, all the playwrights, all the histories, just a massive amount of writing. This shows up only in context of the Lord's Prayer. And it, and it, and it shows up in the Didache. Now, I, I suspect that Jesus was speaking Aramaic, you know, when he was actually saying these things. And the apostles came up with a Greek word for what he was saying. But it is, it is a mystical word. And, and um, it is a combination uh, of the Greek epi, meaning for, and anai, meaning to be. This is the word in the I am statement. So essentially he's saying, give us this day our I am bread. Okay, this is mystical. This is mystical. He is the bread of life. Now we can extend this to the Eucharist bread and, and, to, his, and to his statement about I am the bread of life. You could have a derivative off of that. It's not substantial, but more of sustenance, because sustenance can be food, it can be um, emotional, mental, and didn't Jesus later on, and I'm not sure where, talked about where does the wind come from? It just is. You can see its effects, but, you know, mm-hmm. try to figure out where wind comes from. It's like, that's why it's like, give us what we'll need. We don't necessarily know where it's going to come from, but sometimes it amazes us where God's provision comes from. And I think that keys in with uh, the mystical quality of the name. It, it kind of needs a special name. Well, I mean, he uses food and drink and breath, you know, to express himself uh, for a reason, you know, and that is for us uh, to be uh, sustained by him, you know. In John, he says, you know, y'all have followed me out here because you ate the bread and you're, you know, you're hungry again. But I'm, I'm telling you, you know, take the bread of life. Uh, Chrysostom says something that kind of tracks along with what you're saying, that there's undertones of more than just bread bread. He says, uh, Chrysostom explains, if you see on our tongue, is that bread which is needed for our daily support of life, it is that bread which is needed to the usia, substance of our being that will sustain us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the fathers, all the fathers were about this. In and fact, here's to the Greek language too. yeah, here's uh, here's Tertullian again. Uh, divine wisdom arranged the order of this prayer with exquisite choice. After the matters that pertain to heaven, that is, after the name of God, uh, the will of God, and the kingdom of God, it should make a place for a petition for our earthly needs too. Our Lord taught us, seek first the kingdom, and then these things shall be given you besides. We should rather understand, give us this day our daily bread is a spiritual, in a spiritual sense. For Christ is our bread, because Christ is life, 
and the life is bread. I am, he said, the bread of life. Shortly before this, he said, the bread is the word of the living God who has come down from heaven. Then, because his body is considered to be in the bread, he said, this is my body. When we ask for our daily bread, we are asking to live forever in Christ and to be inseparately united with his body. It's like communion every day. Hmm. Yeah. How does it tie in, though, to uh, live right bread alone? But by every word of God, yeah. and right. Jesus is the word. Think about it. He's definitely setting it up. Can I ask a question? Could you, could you repeat the word and spell it? Uh, E-P-I-O-U-S-I-O-S. I'm not trying Greek letters. Okay. Well, <laughs> no, that's mind. that's an English uh, transliteration. Translation of the Greek. <laughs> Never mind. I, I was thinking you mentioned the Greek words in my brain. Okay, well, P is a this row. And yeah. That's <laughs> R. Touching on that, do you think that's maybe why God got upset when the Israelites, when they were in the desert, asked for quail? Not necessarily because he said. You know, he didn't want to do quails like they weren't showing gratitude for what he'd already given them. Yeah, well, it was all it was all ingratitude, and and when they gathered more manna than they needed, and it rotted on them, that was why. You know, God's grace is not sufficient for them. Yeah, no. there you go. So, any other thoughts about that? I mean, it's, you know, it's, it would be hard to reteach people the, a prayer that they have been doing since they were five. <laughs> but really to consider, give us this day our I am bread, takes it to another level. And, and the point is, I mean, I, I, in order to live a Christian life as a member of the kingdom, and there's so many people that don't take advantage of just this simple prayer from, uh, from the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. I mean, you know, so, I, mean, I need a sustenance, spiritual sustenance for the day. Well, that should be part of our prayer every day. Basically, yeah. but a lot of times we just, we're in such a hurry and we're running around doing everything else that we don't take time yeah. to acknowledge the need for the presence of God in our life. Yeah, we tend to, we tend to concentrate on our meals uh, quite a lot. Uh, we should concentrate as much on uh, on our spiritual sustenance. You know, so, yeah. It's good to see that this gave us this day our I am bread. Mm-hmm. So, and, I, and I like those, you know, John especially. When those are all metaphors. They're not yeah. similes. Not right. like the bread right. of life. He is the bread of life. Yeah. And that the metaphor speaks so much more. Yeah. It says so much more than just a simile. Yeah. Well, you know, in many cultures, bread uh, so is almost a mystical characteristic, particularly cultures where the women go out and make bread every yeah. morning for the family to eat. Uh, well, my, my, my personal theory is that 
bread, it, just bread, is a gift from God. Uh, I mean, it does. It's not something that could happen by accident. And yet, every culture, every ancient culture, has some form of it. So it was a recipe handed down from God, I think. Well, given, uh, I don't want to speak out of turn here, but uh, kind of like what, uh, you have to correct me if I'm wrong here, but uh, a few times Jesus, I think, he showed frustration with the disciples because he was kind of like, okay, here's the word, just think about it. Don't you see what this is really saying? It's kind of like, I think he... uh, as humans, we want to just be told what to do to avoid confusion and frustration. But I think uh, God, he, he wants us to delve into, think about, pray about, read about his word, and let it become part of us. And, you know, but they just, I think on, on some levels, the disciples says, just give us a prayer formula. You know, kind of yeah. like prayer Jabez stuff. Yeah. But he says, okay, you, you want to think about this stuff. Yeah. You know? I don't want to just come out and tell you because then you wouldn't be my disciples. You'd just be a pet that I'd have to feed and water. Right. And he says, you're better than that. You're my, you're my children. You need to learn to read the word and interpret it and study it. Yeah. Well, all the time, you know, I mean, I remember growing up as a Catholic boy, you go to confession and you're, for penance, you have to say 10 odd fathers. You know, right. And three Hail Marys or whatever. Yeah. So you go out there, my, we're, I'm racing with my brothers to see if you can get through the 10 of the 10 our fathers classes. At least we're trying to get through them. <laughs> it's like, our father, I'm done. I got it. <laughs> I'll beat you. <laughs> Craig, can I say something? I mean, it's uh, an experience. I went to grammar school in the 1950s. It's been a while ago. Uh, and before believer, of course. And But they trained us to Memorize, of course, say the Pledge of Allegiance, the flag, right. and also the Lord's Prayer. It was in grammar school. Right. And we would, we would, I mean, I memorized it as, as a boy, the Lord's Prayer. And it was also, it seemed like I knew it was God. I mean, I didn't understand anything. But after all of these many years, and even some years in the Baptist Church, of course, uh, different ones where I I don't remember a lot of occasions unless you're really quoting the Lord's Prayer in church, some. But since I've been in Christ community church and in our liturgy, we always first quote the Lord's Prayer. And I began to think of the Lord. So it's more uh, a type of worship for me, worship of spirit and the truth. Mm-hmm. But how, as a kid, you know, of course, I guess nowadays they won't allow school children to do that. All right, well, let's, let's uh, forge ahead. I don't think we're going to get finished, but let's go ahead on to the next one. Um, the next phrase is, uh, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Uh, the prayer is forgiveness, for forgiveness is plural. You know, we're, we're praying corporately here. Um, uh, the word it really means debts. Uh, some, some translations say trespasses, some debts, some sins. 
but uh, one one father points out that uh, it's not the word that is usually used for sins. So for him, that that suggests that it means the times we have failed to do good, uh, omission, and we. But the main point is we acknowledge that we we need to be forgiven. Uh, in in Jesus, and, and we need to be forgiving. Uh, you know, in suit, uh, Jesus doubles down on this in the in the verses that follow uh, the prayer in Matthew uh, that immediately follow. Um, let's go with uh, Matthew eighteen eighteen. Also, uh, assuredly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So this is a big responsibility and he encourages us to be forgiving, uh, particularly those who have a debt or a trespass against us. Uh, Who are our sins against? They're all against God. So we become Christ-like. I mean, it's easy for me to forgive somebody for kicking Connor in the shin, but if he kicks me in the shin, that's a little harder. <laughs> uh, so we're more we're, we're more Christ-like when we're willing to forgive uh, those who have offended their offenses against us directly. Uh, so uh, once again, I'll read from Tertullian. I'm, I'm giving him a workout today, uh, if I can find it. Uh, the first part to complete the prayer that was so well arranged Christ added that we should pray not only that our sins be forgiven but also that they be resisted completely lead us not into temptation this is actually the next uh, next phrase uh, that is do not allow us to be led by the tempter God forbid that our, our Lord should seem to be the tempter as if he were not aware of one's faith or were eager to upset it that weakness and spitefulness belongs to the devil. Um, so anyway, that, that note was out of place. That actually goes with the next uh, the, the next phrase. Which, so I'll, I'll go ahead and, and get into that. Uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, it is right to uh, refer to James at this point. Uh, James 1, 13, 14. Does anybody know that off the top of their head? God is not tempted by evil, neither does he tempt anyone. Yeah, you're uh, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So, I mean, this, this is, kind of, I guess, a controversial statement. You know, lead us not into temptation. But it, it, none of the fathers see this as accusing God of, 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 ten, of uh, being the uh, uh, source of temptation. Uh, one, uh, one commentary that I, I read uh, or uh, heard years and years and years ago was... You think of the phrase "not into" as away from. So, 
lead us not into <laughs> temptation. Now that that may be that may be a stretch. You know, I you know I don't know if you can get there from the Greek, but but yeah yeah uh, take us away from temptation. Um, uh, so then deliver us from evil. You know, completes that thought. Uh, actually, actually uh, take us away from this. And I've got a, uh, a reference here to 1 Corinthians, which I hope is this is the right place for, for that. Uh, 10, 13. Nor complain, as some of them also complain. Uh, that's, that's, oh, wrong verse. Uh, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape you may be able to bear it. So God knows that we are going to fall into temptation. And if what he produces actually is the way out, you know, if we're willing to take it, uh, discerning enough and strong enough. So any, any, any thoughts about those, those two phrases? Well, I, it, uh, I think it's kind of like where God says, you know, keep, uh, keep his word on our hearts and in our heads it kind of applies to that because in order for that to happen it has to indwell you and it has to have practical you have to put it into practical use not just think it in your head but use it like you know if you have sins against your brother you know go and do you know be practical about it and not like you know other religions say like tibetans they have those columns that they just spin and call it a prayer mm-hmm. that's 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 empty because it's just we're lighting a candle yeah uh, as long, if Christianity is just you know just check the boxes, it doesn't really it's not really as effective as if you're making sure the word's in you and doing what it tells you when. Because if there's none of that connection, you're not really connected with the Father, and that's what we're ordered to do first and foremost. Yeah, what 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 Christ really wants with us is a relationship, but no relationship is going to work if one half of it has just checked out. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have both, both, everyone involved needs to be engaged. It's kind of like God sending a message on Facebook. I really miss you. Like, <laughs> yeah. We need to know the Joseph connection, man. The temptation come. You run, run, run. Oh, yeah. Run away, run away. Flee from, flee with, from the very, very appearance of sin. But flee towards God, God says, just, or Paul says to Timothy. All right, well, I'm going to close it off there. Uh, the, uh, just, I'll just say about the doxology, it doesn't appear in the oldest manuscripts. Uh, it's left out by many modern translations, but it is similar to a doxology that's in First Chronicles. And it also appears in the Didache, which is uh, a, a second century writing. Uh, you know, and this is where we get a lot of our instruction for polity. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's um, legit. I mean, it's a legit doxology, but it only shows up in later, uh, later uh, manuscripts. So, there you have it. I hope, I hope uh, you, you can remember some of these things as we go through the liturgy today, as we go through the Eucharist liturgy, uh, which we will go prepare for now. <laughs>